How is the human brain like the night sky? How does one go from Omaha, Nebraska to Los Angeles, California? Answering these questions today, I give you a sage, a sensei, a scholar who has researched, honed, taught, and refined the immersive arts. Today I give you Spencer Williams of Walk the Night Immersive. If you start with something that's familiar and grow out from bang, explosions, and we had the chainsaws brought out, and fire breathing. Audiences are only getting more and more agency. There are more neurons firing in our brains than there are stars in the sky. It is as vast and unexplorable as every story told is told through the mind of the person that experiences it. The same way that you and I are interacting right now is the same way that you and I look at stars. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. Today's episode is actually a bit of an experiment. The conversation has been divided into two parts because it wound up being such an in-depth look at immersion, look at the way that audiences and guests and just people interact with the situations and environments that they're presented with. The second episode will air next week and we'll kick off with our Make It Immersive segment, which is a bit different than you have heard in the past. Spencer Williams actually walks me through some version of a live roleplay experience, similar to what they do with Tales by Candlelight. Spencer, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So to just uh, hop right into it, um, I do have to ask, what is your favorite fictional or fantasy world? I'm, 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 a, I'm a strange one in that. I, that. There's no, the only constant to my favorite uh, fictional world um, is a sort of magic realism. Um, okay. Uh, Neil Gaiman's fantastic with it. Um, yes. Uh, 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 oh, I, and of course I forget the, the name of it. Uh, um, uh, Hundred Years of Solitude, or is it A Thousand Years of Solitude? Um, mm, rings a bell, but I'm not directly. Oh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Um, so oh my the, gosh, yes. The magic, the magic realism that, um, that exists there. Uh, it, it's always those... Um, uh, Tom Robbins is also uh, has as worlds with these sort of secrets that are unlocked and and open that open up the mind. So I don't. It's not that I want to live in Narnia or in the, or a long time ago in a galaxy far far away. Um, I, I'm just really interested in the things that. Uh, that emerge. Yeah. The fantastic that emerges within the, the everyday. And that's a non-answer. I totally realize it. No, no, that's a phenomenal answer. I mean, it's not specific, which is totally fine. Um, and unless you want to make it more specific, I'm very happy leaving that, um, as ambiguous as it is for the moment, because I think it actually has, uh, has potential to go in cool directions later, uh, later in the show here. 
I think so too. I, well, I, you know, I put it this way. I, I have found it takes me in interesting directions throughout, uh, throughout my career. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh man. And, uh, Gaiman is brilliant. Uh, I've not read nearly enough, um, Marquez, but that I, I definitely share a closely aligned appreciation of that world. Um, there's just something about kind of the subtlety and nuance of having something that's just not in your face out of this world, but like something that seems like it could just show up one day and become part of the real world. For me, that magic realism uh, or magic is as much a psychological experience as it is something tangible. Um, and for me, that magic realism is, is, Ah, it's just, it, it gets me going. I'm too excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so I'm curious, could you explain or tell a little bit about your path with immersion? What brought you to immersion in the first place? Because um, before we start recording here, you're explaining that you had moved from Omaha to LA. How did you find your way into immersive blank immersive entertainment immersive theater immersive arts mm -hmm. in omaha in the first place and then what kind of brought you to la from there oh, what's funny is it actually didn't start in omaha oh um, a lot uh i think a lot of us strangely came to this within the same like couple with the same within the same sort of small uh span when it all began um so i've been i'm in my you know sixth seventh year um, in, in this field. Uh, and, and I've found that a lot of us all kind of came to it at the same time, or this, like this first batch, we'll call us the way that I came to it was actually being hired again, like a lot of other folks to, um, to direct and produce a haunted, uh, a haunted house or rather a haunted corn maze for a pumpkin patch. Oh, um, all right. Yeah. I was in, uh, so, uh, I've been in LA since, uh, since graduation, pretty much, uh, uh, was directing and then got started getting into documentary from directing because I liked the story kind of emerging in front of me, um, rather than being, uh, prescripted. It just felt more like an event, uh, the documentary stuff. And so mm -hmm. at, at around the same time that I was thinking, ah, I, I want to at least, find something that merges more of this in the craft that I can start doing more of. I get uh, this call on an opportunity to direct a haunted, uh, a haunted corn maze. And it started where I was thinking, well, this will be something new, right? Then I thought about how to do it, to put a, a narrative in a, in a haunted corn maze, um, Titus Andronicus mixed with a Texas chainsaw uh, <laughs> massacre um, came to mind and yeah, it all kind of went crazy from there. Um, and midway through I, uh, I went to, uh, sleep no more, the great, uh, immersive converter for a lot of other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when you see something else being done so brilliantly by somebody else who was doing it before you were doing it, some people would be put off by that, but I was so, so, so excited um, because it meant that I wasn't alone. 
it meant that there were more people doing things like this. Yeah, uh, it shows you that there's something else that is possible out there that like, oh, it's a template, it's a model, it's the proof of concept that suddenly shows that people want this. Exactly. Um, so, uh, so I saw Sleep No More and got um, uh, two one-on-ones in one night, which is kind of an anomaly. Uh, and it, everything that I was, the, the track that I was already on just became completely cemented. You know, I, mm-hmm. there was really no going back for me. Um, uh, everything, all of the work that I was trying to get within the entertainment industry has now pretty much, um, I'm always happy to take those gigs. They're great jobs to get, but the, the flat out calling is, is immersive hands down. That was the beginning with that with the haunted corn maze. Um, uh, haunted corn maze with the through line. A lot, like I know, a lot of people do uh, do it that way, coming in through haunts. Yeah, um, yeah certainly. I mean, and, everybody kind of funneled from or split off from haunts. Arguably, it seems like into a bunch went to escape room, and a bunch went to kind of the less explored edge of immersive theater that is now blo- blooming, blossoming, what have you. Well, it's an easy behavioral uh, tie-in, right? When people are going to a haunted house, there's a, there's a behavior that they that is expected to have. The, the ask is pretty easy of an audience because it's baked into the the the, the cultural um, the cultural behavior that when you go to a haunted house, you're going to be moving around, you're going to be going into places that you normally wouldn't and that are uncomfortable just at a baseline. So unlike with, um, uh, if I were to mount something in the spring, there is more subconscious, what the blank am I doing that will happen from a given audience member. But if you start with something that's familiar and grow out from there, uh, you, you can, you can, uh, it's turning the water up to a boil slowly for the frog um, rather than throwing it in, in hot water right yeah. away. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In this case, we'll call the boiling enlightenment rather than death <laughs> and eating. Um, but, you know, haunts. So <laughs> maybe someone, yeah, maybe the haunt is more uh, apt for that. So so anyway, the great thing about um, that with what I started out with, not just doing a haunt, but with doing one in a corn maze, is I, I literally grew the my, my venue, uh, the way, the way that it's done, right. You get, um, uh, the corn grows in rows, 10 feet, uh, 10 feet wide. Um, and you've got parameters and then you just, uh, carve out where the, where the seeds are going to be allowed to grow and where they're not. So I carved the exact path. I carved out where my, my backstage was going to be, um, to, to best facilitate that. So it was, it was, just by pure luck, a really easy way to get into, uh, into immersive, to start playing with people's behavior. Um, and, and a fun way, right. uh, As a, you know, channeling back into the 13 year old boy, it's, uh, bang explosions. And we had (laughs) the, the stereotypical, uh, chainsaws brought out and fire breathing. And we had people on bouncing stilts at points and, and, all of it surrounding Titus Andronicus. And it was, oh, I'm, I'm 
I had a blast doing it. It was sloppy. I mean, it was my first, it was my first go of it. Um, Start sloppy. Um, Sorry, for those who don't know, what is Tritus Andronicus? Titus Andronicus is uh, Shakespeare's first and bloodiest uh, play. Um, the uh, okay, thank you. Uh, yeah. Titus, um, so the first and bloodiest play. Uh, everybody except for two characters end up dead. Um, the a general comes back from war, tries to retire, um, refuses to take over leadership. Um, so that so that was my start, um, and then I kept on designing those mazes for for years. You know, right there uh, on a farm, you have rotating fields that have to be fallow, and and corn takes up a lot of uh, soil uh, nutrients. So you can't just grow corn in the same place every year. So I just designed those mazes for all of their um, all of their rotating fields. In the meantime, I had gotten in touch with this incredible theater um, in Omaha, Nebraska, where I was raised for a time called the Blue Barn Theater. Um, Oh, right. Yeah. And I've seen their logo and branding um, on your website. I had not looked into them yet, but I was curious. Oh, they're uh, – Susan Clementover is is just about the best boss. Uh, She's the artistic director there. She's about the Mm -hmm. best boss I've I've ever had. strange just how our brains kind of connect and work together uh so i i i basically met up with her showed her some pictures of uh the the deadly harvest was the name of the 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 piece that i did Mm -hmm. uh the first haunted piece and then said i've got this crazy idea to adapt hamlet um but in a way that kind of goes off the rails. Um, what year was that? That was, well, we started in 2013. I believe the play itself was in 2014. And that was the original Walk the Night. Um, okay. Okay. And so and is that Walk still the, coming out? Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Walk the Night's been a five-year series since then. Um, the, the basis mm-hmm. of it is is a merger of, uh, essentially what I started doing with uh, Titus Andronicus in that corn maze and uh, with the brilliance of Sleep No More. So it, in other words, um, it provides a very concrete and accessible uh, plot should someone want to follow that plot. That was the first walk of the night. We had an, a donated Victorian mansion come to us uh, and oh wow. staged Hamlet in the in like 19 1930s south uh which the southern dialect works so beautifully with shakespearean language and i mean and truthfully we uh there's a reason why it's not called hamlet immersive we we took a lot of liberties um in how we adapted the script i did the same thing with uh, titus andronicus in the um in the yeah. corn maze uh definitely the the clarity the most we kind of boiled it down to the clearest lines and then uh kept some of the most beautiful poetry that each actor resonated with and then beyond that we would express it in fill in the blank ways um and that uh kind of grew and grew um till the point that it was last year where it was a uh, live score played in the experience. Oh, uh, 
puppets that were fashioned before people's eyes. Um, uh, and last, uh, that fifth year we got donated, uh, a nature, um, uh, I wanted to say a nature reserve, uh, a nature center that hadn't been used. Uh, and, and yeah, just, uh, and that was an adaptation of the Tempest, which I won't take more of your time with to describe those, those plots, but it's all Shakespearean plots because for me, those are things that are really ripe to, uh, to, to cut up and delve into. They're also, uh, like haunted houses. They're a part of the cultural, uh, yeah, yeah. they're accessible. Um, they're uh, understandable. It's like you take Shakespeare plus haunted house and people kind of get what that is. Whereas, trying to reverse engineer an explanation of what immersive theater is does not nearly go as well. So um, am I understanding correctly that basically you took that as a base and then have been using that in conjunction with Blue Barn to then start kind of launching some of the experiments you're doing in LA right now? Uh. No, the experiences that I'm doing in LA now are the, are my, my company walk the night, um, and then other individual partners. Okay, cool. Um, Very cool. Uh, it, it, essentially I work with companies to make immersive experiences all based in story, but, um, based in the core behavior. So you could say uh, the Deadly Harvest, which was the Titus Andronicus piece started with Haunted Houses, then the Blue Barn Theater, um, which I just to put in another plug for them, the, the space and the the community that they've that they've built there is is it's actually world renowned now. Um, they just built a new ten million dollar uh, theater facility from the ground mm-hmm. up. Oh gosh. Um, so while they were doing that, uh, I did an expansion and did off, uh, did site specific immersive theater based in Shakespeare. So truthfully, you could say that that was a collaboration to make theater, um, and, uh, an immersive experience with a lot more audience agency. And, and that's gone on for five years. And, uh, I think this is actually the first the first public announcement that I'm making about it, but uh, there's going to be a major change in what, um, in what we've, in what we're doing and how we've oh, been doing all right. it. Uh, after the fifth year, it's just time for a, it's time for a change. Susan Clementover and I talked, uh, talked it over. Um, we're still, uh, we're still buttoning down the last of what that change is going to be. So I, there's nothing that yeah, I can officially right. announce. Um but at the five-year point, it is, it's definitely changing. Um, and then now out here uh, uh, with Walk the Night, I've been um, working with uh, two, two different uh, collaborators for these one-on-one uh, sort of boutique experiential pieces um, uh, for uh, the guests and the host make music and Tales by Candlelight. Um, and that just gets... Uh, more into uh, the the through the the continuing arc for me is that with each of those experiences, audiences are only getting more and more mm-hmm. agency. Um, uh, I would describe uh, 
Titus Andronicus and, and haunted houses in general as uh, more experiential than immersive, which is to say uh, more of the senses are activated. Yes, there is interaction with it, but um, the audience agency is pretty much just the question of which pace you are going to go along the track, like a mm-hmm. roller coaster uh, or um, a, a, a ride at fill in the blank right, amusement right. park. The Walk the Night series is much, it's it's more immersive because of the choice in which one can view the content um, in the same way as Sleep No More, but ultimately they can't, um, you're not supposed to affect the outcome. Now with these boutique one-on-one pieces, you are the piece as much as the piece is itself and the outcome is a complete reflection of who you are. Uh, so there's no way that you can't affect the pieces um, that I'm making right now. You right, being the right. audience member, of course. So that's my, <laughs> that's my arc in immersive right there. Um, so the first two things that come to mind uh, just as commentary and the last, last things you mentioned um, one being insofar as blue barns impending change. I just want to say how cool it is that the way that you explain that and kind of relate to that is hey it's been five years it's Mm -hmm. time for a change i say that specifically in the context Mm -hmm. of oftentimes i think that people once they find something that's working the last thing that they want to do in the world is change they're like hey this is working why would i stop stopping and changing is you know kind of scary it's nothing else just risky the fact that that just you're the way that you interface with that is just like, yeah, of course it's time for change. This is just like how it works. I think that's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. There's a quote um, from uh, uh, Joseph Campbell, um, huh, which if, uh, I guess the, um, the, the quote from Joseph Campbell is uh, those, uh, whatever, I'm going to butcher it. It's a uh, paraphrasing, but those who are, those who resist change are in danger of putrefaction. Uh, in other words, like becoming a corpse right, right. of dying, which I, I guess if there is, uh, Joseph Campbell's a good example of, uh, of a world that I would want to live in, though his world is just the world in which we live. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just one engaged with uh, stories and magic around it. Uh, yes um so yeah that's my long-winded way of of agreeing with you and saying here here. and for anybody who's interested Um, who's listening i will put that um quote in its entirety and references to all of the amazing creators artists writers etc uh that have inspired you spencer um in the show notes just if anybody wants to take a peek is not entirely familiar and wants to know a little bit more um Oh, if you want to talk inspirations, that that can go down a whole big old rabbit hole with that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, Joseph Campbell's a part of everything that I do. Um, uh, Red Campbell when I was uh, eighteen. Um, yeah, it's it, it it truly is is that that simple. No one else in um, who uh, your listeners uh, may know of uh, from No Proscenium. Uh, he and I were talking and said that, um, that especially in Hollywood, um, the, the paper that holds uh, 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 Joseph Campbell's um, work is paper is, is almost uh, disintegrated. It's been passed around mm-hmm. so much. Um, uh, but I feel like, like immersive itself, it's something that people will often say that they know, but don't 
uh, but aren't truly familiar with it. Um, and I've read uh, or listened to just about everything that Campbell has done. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, yeah, major influence there. Um, and then uh, Shakespeare for uh, Walk the Night, but there, are, I uh, on the site you can actually see for Walk the Night with the past productions, you can actually see the augmentary materials influence. Oh, um, oh on all right. Each yeah. Of the yeah, I'll years definitely look that up. Um, um, and I, before we get too deep into that rabbit hole, and we can totally come back to that, um, the oh, only sure. other thing that had um, really stuck out to me was the transition between the format and context of the work that you were doing in that space uh, with Shakespearean works with Blue Barn, et cetera, mm. et cetera, um, versus the boutique experiences that you have going on in uh, LA there, because it's, it seems like a very drastic, drastic shift in medium um, from one to the other, because insofar as like between uh, both tales by candlelight and uh, the guests and the host make music, like, those I don't I don't know they seem entirely novel to me I haven't encountered anything that's like either of them in the world of immersion and I'm curious what kind of led to that shift in your work uh, circumstances yeah, yeah. in my happens, brain okay, okay. I, I don't I don't know it's 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 my favorite thing to uh, to direct in um, in Walk the Night has always been. Um, uh, uh, one-on-ones. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, uh, one-on-ones, it, it, it's something that, uh, sleep no more is a, is a perfect example of, but, um, it's a singular audience experience within a sandbox universe. In other words, if you go to sleep no more and you're lucky enough to get, um, one of the, let's say, I think 14 one-on-ones in total that, that only one audience member will get, um, throughout the course of the show, uh, your mask is taken off and you, and you, uh, you are still a passive audience member, but it is just a moment of connection with you and the performer. Um, so we did that for walk the night with these major, uh, with these major different moments. Um, uh, the, um, uh, with Hamlet's monologue, the, the plays, the thing we're in, I'll catch the conscience of the, of the King. Um, that which is a, a relatively well-known monologue was given um, in a very adapted form to one person in uh, in a dark basement stairwell. Um, they are they became hands down mm-hmm. my favorite thing to direct. I, I only half jokingly would say if I could direct one on ones for the rest of my life and through for the entirety of the of the process, I would do that. And I this is just as time went by doing walk the night, I, I, I got to do them less and less. Um, part of it was great because I could delegate more and more things because the uh, immersive was getting easier and easier to get people involved with. And people knew more and more how to do it on their own. Um, and as the director, I was keeping the piece together. You know, it's, it's my main job not to just make uh, the, you know, beautiful moments, but to make sure that those moments, especially in the case of sandbox where one hour has 15 hours of material in it, um, to, to make sure that all of those link up and are cohesive should someone want to have that experience, um, as much as is possible. Right. But I wasn't doing it as much. Um, 
Now, that's not that I made a conscious decision to then say I want to do something that's that's only one-on-ones. It just was where my interest went more and more. Um, because for me, the uh, uh, the the pieces that I've that I've made out here are uh, just those one-on-one pieces. They're very very simple on the surface, um, but the the thread that ties all of them to, together for me. Um, uh, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's the human mind. Um, the, the 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 human. It's it's people that go through these experiences, no matter no matter what they are. I mean, if if you are just on your phone interacting with something, that's 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 the brain that is uh, <laughs> that is um, that is experiencing. Um, wow. Wow, I'm I'm losing I'm losing my <laughs> my ability to speak. I guess I like this too much. Um, <laughs> the uh, experiencing versus the remembering potentially. I don't know uh, if that's the direction you're taking. Uh, that the through line is the human mind. Um, the the human mind, even if right. it is just recreating the stories that we tell, recreating the experiences that we have, and filtering them, is is ultimately what is telling our story to other people. Right. Um, and, and that's the fascinating thing for me with, uh, psychology and neurology. Uh, like, it, <laughs> this is going to sound, uh, strange and not to get too deep or philosophical, but the, the same way that you and I are interacting right now is the same way that you and I look at stars. We're, we're actually dealing with echoes, no matter how, quick or close the echo is to the source. Um, we're filtering that information through our minds. Um, so in, in the same way that this, the light from a star that I'm seeing at night is from, is not an instant light. That light is traveled and has gone for light years and light years and light years. Um, and some of those stars that I'm looking at may well be mm-hmm. dead to that extent. And what's, I think it's, uh, what's the, the common phrase that there is many, uh, that there are more neurons firing in our brains than there are stars in the sky. Um, anecdotal or factual that, that to me is, is fascinating. Every story told is told through the mind of the person that experiences it. Um, and yeah, and there's, and it's something that is so vast and unexplorable it is as vast and unexplorable as space now the more concrete that we can make our experiences the more that we can get them away from language and into just connection through the best psychological means that we have the more effective our stories are going to be that's not to say to affect someone with a specific brainwashing intent but to really tell and connect with the story. Um, and that's what ultimately boggles my own mind about the possibilities with immersive theater. So dealing with tracks, right? You get basic human emotions, you get stop and go, um, as far as the result of the behavior with sandbox, um, or open world where anyone can go anywhere and do anything. You're getting, um, sort of hive mind or, uh, or pack mentality or herd think. You know, as you're looking at each of those, 
uh, as at each of those performances. I mean, granted, I can also see, I can actually see how effective or ineffective the work is based on body language of the people that are there, right? If I'm doing my job right, then I'm tailoring it. Um, and then in a one-on-one, when someone doesn't have a mask on and you're looking, you can see the emotional impact in real time, as close to real time as you can possibly get of what you're doing. Um, but the, with the guests and the hosts and then with Tales by Candlelight, for me, it's you are understanding the way that someone else is retelling the story in real time. Hello, hello. Yo, do you, do you go by Nathaniel or Nate? Um, I actually go by Sky. Uh, Sky. I, Nathaniel's my first name, but I've just always been called Sky since essentially birth. I guess that's just what happens when your parents are old hippies. So hey, <laughs> there is great. That. Sky it is. Yeah, I was I feel really compelled to to say your name when I was talking and realized oh I don't I don't know if it's Nate or Nathaniel and uh it's way more yeah uh knowing someone's a, B, name or C, one way or the other. No, Sky's good, man. Sky's good. Uh names are important. Uh not that it has anything to do with anything, but I'm so I'm third generation uh Sicilian and my mom's name is Lucia. Uh Oh wow. That's yeah, my mom's name well it's Lucia. It, it would be Lucia. So it's written out Lucia, but her name's Lucia. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, so she's second generation, but she doesn't know Sicilian or Italian. Um, both of her parents would say that they didn't, uh, they didn't teach them Italian because they didn't want them to know what they were saying when they were talking to one another. I, oh, interesting. That, that I, I truly believe that the truth is because um they didn't want their kids being called uh, Dagos. And uh, uh, so my mom was yeah. Lucia, not uh, Lucia. Uh, uh, my grandfather was uh, became Carl, not Carmelo, um, which is kind of heartbreaking. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. Strange. Yeah. Strange things. Strange things. That's the, um, the importance of names. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so, I think there's there's a lot of validity to that. I think there there's a very significant degree to which um the the power and the the heft of language is forgotten. Um, yeah. Definitely. The the thing that occurs to me about it, right? Even so the the, the power of language, it, it has as much to do with uh, with the immersive work um, as, as any, as anything, right. You hearing, uh, you hearing your name spoken in the way that you know it to be spoken, um, says something to you, uh, differently from you being told, uh, Hey, you, um, or from your, or from someone saying, uh, Nathaniel or Nate, you have, you have an, you have, you have an innate, uh, reaction to that um, yeah this is true this is true and see right there that is that that's a psychological curtain with within within an immersive experience um that that's that's a tool uh right there our, our fourth wall depending on right how experiential versus immersive uh and and interactive you want to get our fourth wall is 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 the experience of the person. What if a person is taken out of that experience, then that's our, uh, the lights coming on and the, the curtains being pulled up. Uh, 
do you understand? Do you, do you feel me? Yeah, no, no, that makes complete sense. Um, when you, it's moving someone from one headspace to another rather than moving a scene from one physical location to another or moving yeah. a even just a setting from one place to another. If you think about the context of sleep no more, where there's not necessarily interaction, although mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's a spectrum of degrees. And so far as the way that you do shift a person from one headspace well, um, to the next, I, but yeah, I, I think sleep no more is a part of the brilliance of its design is um, uh, to, to my understanding, they, they want you pointedly to make your own uh, decisions. Yeah. Um, th- there's no through line provided for you. It's just up to you. If you, and they try to make it so that if you want to just wander around and eat candy, um, and read a book, then you're perfectly, then you can do that. If you want to follow and run someplace, you can do that. Um, but it is up to you. Ultimately the, the through line is, is up to you, but they've made it so that there is, you know, you step into that world and you kind of have to mess up in order to, to, you have to want to not. Uh, to some degree to not be in that world um, in order to go out of it. Um, if, if that makes sense. Um, right. Right. No, that, uh, that doesn't make sense, but they don't provide, they do not cater to an individual through line. They just give you the, they just give you whatever tools are there, but they don't um, there's no, I'm, I'm just going to say the, the same thing over and over again. They, they, uh, they want you to do the work of, of tying things together. Um as, as I experience it and as I understand it, which is great and fantastic in some ways. Um, my being able to say, uh, to, to say your name, Sky, uh, to be able to call to you um, and understand more about how you tick, um, even just in talking with you and to truly adjust for that, that is an avenue that I've become more and more fascinated by. Yeah, certainly. The ways that you access slash onboard slash just just shift someone out of their reality into the experience and oh. access them where they are. Exactly, exactly. And I love that you said onboarding because so there's this this common phrase, and I truly wish that I could remember the person because it was uh, my friend uh, my friend Kyle Holmes, who's a great uh, drama teacher. He's actually mm-hmm. uh, his kids are some of the first that I taught um, immersive workshops to. He met a guy whose name I don't remember who said that the common way to describe immersive theater is it starts when you uh, start thinking about it, or it starts when you hear about it, it ends when you stop thinking about it. Um, so that like the that's the way that the best work begins and ends. For me, onboarding is is a part of the experience, and I'm becoming more and more uh, obsessed with it and excited by it uh, to the point where. Uh, 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 with with the pieces that with the piece that I'm working on right now, I'm I'm obsessing over all of the augmentary material, which most people would be like, "Oh, you're obsessing over the marketing." But I'm like, "No, these are the different avenues that someone could come to this experience." Um, yeah, you the coming to the website is the yeah, yeah, um, you, that's your first experience. Shoot, what is it called? The uh, I. I'm blanking on the name, um, the blank Institute, the it was like 2012 around that area in San Francisco, um, which was the, it was the alternate reality game where the onboarding was basically someone basically induct you into the secret society by handing you the card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know the name of that, but that, but what you're talking about is very, very familiar. Um, uh, in, in LA, the Speakeasy Society has made a, a two year long, amazing piece that just wrapped up called the Kansas Collection based yeah, on that very yeah. principle. Um, there's a club, uh, there's a, a great, uh, members only quote unquote club with, uh, with immersive intertwined within it called cloak and dagger here. That is that same principle. Speakeasies are another wonderful behavioral pattern to tap into again in the, in, in our culture that allows people to be like, Oh, I do this code and then I get in. Uh, yeah. And it gives you that immediate insider dynamic that suddenly shifts the degree of things that you're willing to accept. Um, mm-hmm in insofar as what's strange once you feel like you're on the inside of something i think Mm -hmm. it makes it a lot easier to be like oh okay the rules here are different and that's Mm -hmm. okay because they can't they're allowed to be different because not everybody is here yeah well i and i add on to that to do the work even better right because the experience then just you're that i would call that like your that's your first point of contact there's there's an actual immediate response that comes from the thing that you're reaching out to. Uh, you knock on the door uh, with the uh, shave and a haircut, and then you wait, and the door knocks back two bits. That's the first point of contact. Yeah. But everything has to expand beyond that, right? Another friend of mine, gosh, who was, uh, I think it was Mikey Beatty. This, uh, he's a fantastic immersive actor. Um, uh, he and I are playing around with working on something. He was talking about, gosh, Mikey, I'm pretty sure this was you. And if not, you can just say it was. Um, uh, and if not, uh, Sky, I'll just, <laughs> I'll like, I'll embarrassingly say it wasn't Mikey that told me that. Or just uh, addendum, Spencer's uh, forgetful and it wasn't Mikey. It was <laughs> blank. Um, but he was talking about Nintendo games. Mikey's a big uh a, a big Nintendo game player. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about uh, Mario and the, the beauty of Mario that the eight bit Nintendo staple is that in the first three seconds of playing, you've unlocked all of the secrets and, um, and know what you're doing and you've gotten the response. So in other words, you, you not only know that, that you've entered into a new world that not everyone's going to be here, but you know what you did in order to do it. And you know how you can do more of it going forward. Um, yeah, yeah. And that becomes the knack of engagement in human play. That becomes the gamification. So for me, that onboarding experience, when you start playing with things online, that's the actual first point of contact. So if you can, if you can start getting them there, even subconsciously, then you, you've kind of planted the seed for an engagement that's deeper once they're uh, once they cross the threshold. Yeah, most definitely. I really, I, I really, really like that line of thinking, and I think that it it attaches itself to a to a much more holistic view of the thing instead of it being like uh, red flags is a good example of that, where you eliminate the friction in this way. So like even just the kind of pictures that are on the site for that, mm-hmm. it's like the, the outward presentation is part of that experience. So exactly. and I, it's yeah. really cool to hear you talk about that and the fact that you've spent time and bandwidth considering that and trying to craft that and, bring that into the experience as a whole thing. Um, But also 
I just love that that is a topic of conversation because of how much more can be done with it mm-hmm. once that conversation expands. Um, yeah. All these little things, all these little threads of possibility that speak to so much more. And on that note, we will cap the first portion of our interview with Spencer Williams of Walk the Night Immersive. Next week, we will kick off with the new, interesting, experimental flavor of Make It Immersive. And again, this is all an experiment, so any thoughts or feedback that you might have, please drop us a line on our Instagram, at Immersion Nation, or on the website contact form, of course. And until then, thank you for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.